Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another recap episode that we've got going on here on the Cover 7 channel. And guys, in today's recap episode, we're going to be recapping, and I know I keep saying recapping, but we are going to be recapping all of the action from the 2022 NFL wildcard weekend. And man, what a weekend it was indeed, as on Saturday, we kicked it off with Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers taking on Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. Sunday, we had Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills taking on the Miami Dolphins. And then on Monday night football, we had Dak Prescott and the Cowboys taking on Tom Brady and the Bucks. So before we get into all that, guys, I just want to ask you all to please make sure that if you if you like what you've been listening to, you've liked the interviews, you've liked the episodes, you've even, heck, even liked our new series we've got going on, Catching Up With College Football, make sure you hit the notification bell, make sure you hit the follow button here so you can stay up to date with anything and everything college football and NFL related, and most importantly, stay up to date with anything Cover 7 related, because you know, I love you guys a ton, so... Anyways, y'all, like I always say, I don't want to waste y'all's time. Don't want to waste my time either. So let's get to, let's get to talking some wild card action football. And to kick it off, our first game that we did have in wild card weekend because we didn't have too many games, but you know now because they added another wild card uh, game, it's super wild card weekend. So we kicked it off on Saturday as we had a double header. We had the 49ers and Seahawks, and then the night game. We had Justin Herbert and the Chargers taking on Trevor Lawrence and the Jags. But the first game we got to talk about, we got to go to the Bay Area and talk about Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers at home taking on the um, Seattle Seahawks led by Geno Smith, who, in my opinion, should probably end up winning comeback player of the year, largely due to the fact that he set franchise records for the Seattle Seahawks, the most notable one, passing yards in a season, which actually beat out Russell Wilson. So, and... In this game, the game started off a little bit cruddy because the weather, it was horribly bad. It downpour rain. Normally, if you're a football player, you like this you like this type of weather just because it's really comfortable. But this time of year, it's a little bit different because everything starts to cool off and all that. But um, luckily, in the favor for the San Francisco 49ers, it actually, the sun would actually come out at about the halfway point of the game, I want to say. Like a little bit before halftime, which you can tell... Things started to switch a little bit because the Seahawks, they had a strong second quarter, putting up 17 points. And going into halftime, they actually led the San Francisco 49ers 17-16 as Geno Smith was connecting really well with DK Metcalf. Kenneth Walker was running the football really well, had about 50 rushing yards at halftime. You know, San Fran's offense wasn't really bad. Bad either at halftime. Christian McCaffrey was doing his thing. Had a long run. Long run. I think it was about in the first quarter of 68 yards. The uh, Debo Samuel was doing his thing. Brandon Ayuk was looking pretty good. So both offenses were doing pretty decent considering the fact that most of the first half was played when it was raining. Ball was slick. Obviously, it was going to be a lot more ground and pound rather than through the air. And then in the second half, that's when the floodgates opened and San Francisco's offense really started to open things up as Brock Purdy. And first and foremost, I want to say if you're the San Francisco 49er um, front office right now, you've really got to be considering the fact that, hey, maybe our guy is going to end up being Brock Purdy. You know, not Trey Lance, the guy that we picked third overall for, traded up to get because as injury prone as he's been, and has and as reliable as Brock Purdy has been so far. I mean, with this win that they got against Seattle here in the wild card round, there he is now six and zero as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And 
I really don't see where you don't start Brock Purdy at the beginning of next season unless, obviously, injury issues or something of that nature. And the way that he fits into this Kyle Shanahan system is absolutely phenomenal, and it showed in this game. Brock Purdy would go 18 of 30 for 332 yards passing with three passing touchdowns and didn't even throw an interception. The craziest part is, is he only only had 18 completions. Only had 18 and still threw for 330 yards. Christian McCaffrey, he, I mean, I'm telling you, the fact that this 49er team added him right before the trade deadline, I feel was really the final piece that they needed outside of obviously the quarterback room to really help this offense reach its true potential. And it showed in this game because Christian McCaffrey, 15 carries for 119 yards rushing, had that 68-yard rush that I talked about a little bit early on. Didn't do as much in the receiving game. Did get a receiving touchdown, however. And then Debo Samuel, who finally is healthy after suffering an injury towards, I think, about the middle of the season or a little bit after. He, back now, back is full healthy, and it showed in this game. Six receptions for 133 yards receiving. Had a long touchdown reception of 74, in which he turned on the Jets and absolutely beat everybody to the end zone. And this San Francisco 49er team really just in the fourth quarter, they settled this game, put up 18 points, were able to get a pick off of Geno Smith, also a fumble recovery as well. And on the flip side for the Seattle Seahawks, Geno Smith really didn't even play that bad up until the second half, right? Going into the going into half, Geno Smith only had a few incompletions, was pretty accurate throwing the ball. He connected with DK Metcalf on a long 50-yard touchdown reception, but I don't know what it was about it, but in the second half, just Seattle's offense could not get anything going whatsoever. Geno Smith would finish 25 of 35, 253 yards passing with two passing touchdowns and one interception. Kenneth Walker, who had a really strong first half, had about 50 rushing yards, would be limited to pretty much nothing in the second half as he would finish his day with 15 carries for 63 yards rushing and a touchdown. DK Metcalf, who had himself a pretty good game, a lot of that came really in the first half and then in the third quarter he would have 10 receptions for 136 yards receiving and two receiving touchdowns and for the Seattle Seahawks obviously this was a team that was never even supposed to make the playoffs right like when you look at how the Russell Russell Wilson trade went these teams are supposed to be completely switched around right you were supposed to be having the um, Denver Broncos being one of the top seeds in the AFC they didn't even make the playoffs you know had a top five draft pick which now is Seattle's top five draft pick because, well, they traded to get Russell Wilson. And for the Seattle Seahawks, you pretty much made the playoffs with a team that, to be frank, was not even expected to win seven seven games this season, and y'all are still able to win nine. So, in my opinion, was not a bad season. You know, you finish 500. I mean, hey, this was honest, obviously was a very lopsided trade. When you look at it now, Noah Fant is still a really solid tight end that you can build around. You got, you still have Kenneth Walker. You still have DK Metcalf. You still have Tyler Lockett. I mean, this team is nowhere near done with. They have a lot of young pieces that they can continue to build around, even on the defensive side of the football as well with Tariq Woolen. Uh, you know, this team's really going to be exciting these next few years, especially with how well coached they are, too. I know, obviously, the second half, all the momentum pretty much completely switched over to San Francisco. But regardless, this team's future is still very bright. But the 49ers, they would take care of Seattle as they would go on to beat the Seahawks to advance to the divisional round by a score of 41-23. to As Brock Purdy continues to dominate, it's going to be interesting to see what he does next week. And then for Seattle, your season officially is over. 
But still, you've got two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and the future is still very immensely bright. And obviously, you've got Geno Smith, who I think you give him at least one more year, you know, potentially until you want to get that quarterback of the future. Obviously, Geno Smith's not going to be your quarterback forever, but at least can be a good bridge quarterback, a guy that's probably going to end up winning comeback player of the year. You've got Kenneth Walker, who, who has been one of the best rookies in all of the NFL this season. You got DK Metcalf. You got Tariq Wallen on the defensive side of the ball. So for Seattle fans, don't hang your head because at the end of the day, you weren't even supposed to be in this point, and you were able to make it, and you really made it a competitive game through three quarters, but unfortunately, the wheels fell off in the fourth, and that's ultimately why San Fran was able to really make the score look a lot more lopsided than, in, than it really was. So anyways, y'all, we're going to go to our final game that we had on Saturday as we're going to go down to Duval County in Jacksonville, Florida, as we had Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers taking on Trevor Lawrence and the current just absolutely red-hot Jacksonville Jaguars and you know for the Jaguars what a way it was to finish the season you finished the season with five straight wins one of those being a great at home win against the Dallas Cowboys beat the Jets on the road and then finished off the season in a close game against Tennessee to secure the number four seed in the playoffs and then for the um, Los Angeles Chargers kind of a risky last game of the season because you already were guaranteed to have the five seed and you still decided to play your starters and ultimately ended up getting Mike Williams hurt who did not even play in this game so something that ultimately ended up costing the Jaguars a little bit in this game on the offensive side of the football but they were pretty much healthy on the defensive side had obviously Joey Bosa back you got Khalil Mack you still got Derwin James Asante Samuel so this was going to be in my opinion probably one of the top if not the top games of the entire of the entire wild card weekend and the way that this game started it really looked like it was going to be a complete disappointment a complete blowout because Trevor Lawrence in the first quarter of the game threw three interceptions two of which would go to Asante Samuel who has been obviously one of the key pieces of the Chargers defense and to make matters even better in the second quarter Trevor Lawrence would throw his fourth interception which take a guess on who that would go to it would go straight to Asante Samuel and then the offense which they continued to you know get into the end zone Austin Eckler had two touchdowns on the night you know they were able to you know capitalize off of the turnovers that their defense gave them as at halftime they led the Jaguars 27 to 7 in which like in which, in which it looked like the game was over I com I quit watching it I turned to watch some college basketball and Lord and behold, the offense of the Jaguars suddenly revives in the second half as they put up 24 points. Trevor Lawrence, instead of having just, you know, one passing touchdown and four interceptions going into halftime, he finishes the game 28 of 47 for 288 yards passing with four touchdowns and four interceptions. And yes, some of those some of those interceptions were just blatant bad reads by um, Trevor Lawrence, which most of his that Asante Samuel picked off were bad reads. The first one, which got picked, was due to a tip pass, so that's a little bit more lenience to it. But for everybody that was kind of saying, oh, Trevor Lawrence is a bust, yada, 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 can't really make it in big time and everything like that, I don't think that's the case whatsoever because the last time that this kid played on a level like this was back during his collegiate days when he was, you know, going up against Alabama and going up against, you know, Ohio State and, you know, everything like that. So it's been a few years the last since the last time we've seen Trevor Lawrence in an atmosphere like this. But all the weapons around him really helped elevate him. They didn't quit on him. You know, they they motivated him. They kept him, you know, positive thinking. And 
I mean, that really benefited him in this game as he had four different wide receivers catch touchdown passes. Evan Ingram had an amazing game, seven receptions for 93 yards receiving in a, t in a TD. Christian Kirk, 78 yards receiving in a TD. Zay Jones, a guy that I absolutely love, which I think was one of the best signings that the Jaguars had in this offseason alongside, obviously, Evan Ingram and Christian Kirk. He had 74 receiving yards in a TD. And then Marvin Jones, who didn't have a big – um, statistical game, only had 29 receiving yards, but also was able to add a touchdown as well. And then Travis Etienne Jr. You know, for the Jaguars, as much as we talk about their past game with Trevor Lawrence and his amazing arm and everything like that, the run game has been a very underrated piece of this Jaguar um, offense and well, Travis Etienne had himself a heck of a game. 20 carries for 109 yards rushing. And a lot of credit needs to be given to the defense of the Jaguars because they stepped in and were able to hold this Charger offense to only a field goal in the second half, which came in the third quarter. They shut them out in the fourth quarter and were able to give a lot of that momentum back to the offense, which elevated them in order to get into the end zone. And what would you know? The Jaguars, down 28-30, to were able to force a punt, get the ball back, which would set up the game-winning field goal for Riley Patterson, and he would knock it barely into the uprights. I mean, it barely hugged the right um, right goal post, but it did go in as the Jaguars complete the 27-7 to comeback against the Los Angeles Chargers as they go on to beat the Chargers 31-30. to As the Jaguars, they now advance to the divisional round and get their first playoff win since 2017, back when they made it all the way to the AFC Championship game. And then for the Chargers, I mean, this, I think this, I think this game officially has stamped the end of the uh, Braden, Brandon Staley um, head coaching tenure for him because, I mean, obviously bad decision starting Mike Williams last week, which he definitely felt a lot of the repercussions in this game. Now, the now the officials in this game were horrid on both sides. There were a lot of missed you know, pass interference calls that should have been called on uh, on L.A., but were not. There, were a lot, there also were a lot of holding calls which should have been called on the offensive lineman for the Jacksonville Jaguars on Joey Bosa, which didn't get called at all. There were some false starts as well. So this was a bad referee game to say the very least. But at the end of the day, it did go both sides. So one team can't say another one had it better than the other because they both had pretty crucial penalties that ended up in this game. But regardless, the Jags, they would be able to make the comeback behind a really strong second half by the offense and the defense. So the Jaguars, they're heading on. And then for the Chargers, You've got the pieces. You've got Austin Eckler. You've got Keenan Allen. You've got Mike Williams. You know, if he's able to stay healthy, you've got Justin Herbert, who I still think is an incredible quarterback. The defense is still incredible. Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Asante Samuel, Derwin James, Kenneth Murray. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You just need to get that right head coach, and I do not think Braden Staley is going to be the right head coach for you. So I think this game officially marks the end of that era for the San, or not San Diego, sorry, the Los Angeles Chargers. So. That wraps up Saturday. I mean, obviously the first game was pretty good through three quarters. And then obviously Brock Purdy had an historic game, absolutely went off in the fourth quarter. And then for our final game, Jaguars completed a 27-7 comeback, which, I mean, hey, that's one heck of a way to kick off wild card weekend. So now we're going to go to Sunday, which we had a triple header of wild card games. And the first game we're going to talk about that kicked us off was the Miami Dolphins, who had um, Skylar Thompson starting because Teddy Bridgewater was injured. Tua Tagovailoa did not clear concussion protocol, so now they're down to their third-string quarterback in Skylar Thompson, taking on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills up in Buffalo. And 
as a lot of people expected this game to go, it was going to be very one-sided Bills because, well, first and foremost, you're playing up in West New York this time of year. The weather's normally going to favor the team that plays up there year-round, which is the Bills, and then also the Dolphins' offense is missing one of their best players, which is Tua Tagovailoa. So obviously, the pass game would not be as explosive as it has been, you know, with Tyreek, Jalen Waddle, and all those guys. But you know, to actually talk about how the game would go. It looked very one-sided, you know, for Buffalo after the first quarter. They led 14 to 0. The offense was, you know, connecting on every cylinder right. Josh Allen was looking pretty good. Him and Stephon Diggs were connecting. Him and Gabriel Davis were connecting. And then in the second quarter, things started to get pretty interesting because Skylar Thompson, who probably never even thought one bit during this season that he was going to play. He was a third-string quarterback for the Dolphins. Obviously, Tua was not able to get out of concussion protocol. You go to Teddy Bridgewater, he has some type of fracture in his hand. So, a young, very young quarterback who never would have thought he'd be starting in a playoff game. And he did okay in this game for about two to three quarters, right? And definitely that second quarter was Miami's best one of the day. Put up 17 points. And then going into the second half, it was very low scoring, but there were a lot of crucial turnovers. And, you know, for Buffalo, it really would be Josh Allen's turnover issues that kept Miami in this game, right? Josh Allen had two picks on the day and also would have a fumble, or he had or he had three fumbles in this game, but one of which would get lost. So not very ideal from a guy like Josh Allen, but if you looked at his stats and have kind of kept up with him throughout the entire season, he's... He's led. He's almost led the league in interceptions. He's dealt with some fumble issues. So you already know what you're going to get with him. Obviously, he's going to turn the ball over a little bit. But also, his arm is better than ever, and he showcased it in this game too as he'd go 23 of 39 with 352 yards passing and three or in three passing touchdowns. Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, both had about 110 receiving yards apiece with Gabe Davis having one receiving touchdown. And I think Stephon Diggs, who made an incredible one-handed catch on the sideline of the end zone, I think that, that that call could have gone either way. You could have said he had the ball, he didn't have the ball. Regardless, he didn't end up getting that touchdown. But still, this team dominated really when it mattered the most. Their defense stood up when it mattered the most. Crook. Kair Alam, who hasn't really had necessarily the greatest rookie season, especially considering he was the first-round pick over guys like Tariq Woolen. So obviously going to be a little bit more a little bit more short on the leash in terms, but he would get a pick in this game off of Josh Allen. Dean Marlowe, who is actually replacing DeMar Hamlin for the rest of the season, he came in and got an interception as well. And then for the Miami Dolphins, their defense is really what helped them because their offense was not that great in this game. Skylar Thompson, the third-string quarterback, 18-45 for 220 yards passing with a touchdown and two interceptions. Yeah, it was not the greatest day for both of these quarterbacks in regards to being able to keep the football on with your team, right? Not turning the ball over. The run game for Miami, which was non-existent, only had 42 total yards of rushing with one rushing touchdown because, well... You were missing Raheem Mostert, so you had to go to Jeff Wilson, a guy that you got at the trade deadline from the San Francisco 49ers. He was only able to uh, salvage about 23 rushing yards. And then the receiving game. Obviously with Miami, their main go-to weapon is going to be Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And, well, Tyreek Hill was held to only 69 yards receiving. Jalen Waddle only had 44 yards receiving. And normally when you keep those guys to about under 150 yards total combined, you're going to have yourself a pretty good game. And obviously the score definitely was a lot closer than it should have been because I think Buffalo, especially being at home, should have blown out Miami. But obviously 
they probably went into this game thinking that, well, Miami has no chance of competing whatsoever, and that was just simply not the case. But regardless, the Bills' defense will stand up when it mattered the most. The offense would be able to get back on the field get that crucial first down which would effectively end the game as the Buffalo Bills they are advancing to the divisional round as they beat the Miami Dolphins 34 to 31 and what was a pretty fun game to watch I mean definitely was one of the, the higher scoring games we had the entire weekend obviously it's always fun to see as many turnovers as you had in this game but regardless despite all the you know little mistakes and everything that Buffalo had they were still able to get the W from the Miami Dolphins and now for our next game, guys, we're going to go up to Minnesota as we're going to be talking about Daniel Jones, a.k.a. Danny Dimes, and the New York Giants taking on the Minnesota Vikings. And this game, this is one that I really had circled around when I saw the full like full schedule of wildcard games we were going to be getting this weekend because of the last time these two teams met, right? Minnesota, last time these two teams met during the regular season, Minnesota won on a game-winning field goal in, in a game in which... The Giants were completely banged up, were not fully healthy, didn't have a lot of their defensive guys. So obviously, going into this playoff game, it's going to be a little bit more different because a lot of the defensive guys that the Giants did not have in that game, like Adoree Jackson, Leonard Williams, and all those guys, they would be playing in this game. And then for the Minnesota Vikings, the biggest thing that they needed to do in this game was prove all the doubters wrong, prove to everybody that, hey, you know, we are a worthy team you know we are worthy of being one of the top seeds in the NFC and yes the record which definitely does not reflect how we've played this entire season you know we are as good as you know we our record does say because obviously you know normally it's the whole factor of well our record's not good but we're better than that but for the Vikings their their thing is our record's good but are we really as good as our record says right so this game is going to be crucial for both of these teams one of the most exciting games going into the wild card weekend and this game, like many of our other wild card games that we did have here in Super Wild Card Weekend, it absolutely lived up to the hype, right? Now, for the New York Giants, you have got to be absolutely thrilled with how Daniel Jones has played this past season, right? Because the past few years, his first couple years in the league, his biggest issue was fumbling the ball, right? Not being able to take care of the ball when you would take it and run because one of the, you know, one of the things that attracted a lot of scouts to Daniel Jones was the fact that he's a tall, lengthy quarterback that can throw the football and also is very mobile getting out of the pocket and can get out of the pocket, which is something that you really don't see a lot, right? And in this game against Minnesota, Daniel Jones showed tremendous athletic ability, right? I mean, he was he was a leading rusher for the Giants, had 78 rushing yards, looked phenomenal during the football 24 35 for 301 yards passing with two passing touchdowns and didn't have any interceptions either and even when the pressure got to him despite being sacked three times in this game he was able to still avoid it and be able to take off for some pretty good runs that well would put New York into pretty good positions and for receiving wise Isaiah Hodgins a guy who was not even on the Giants roster to start the year he was a six round pick back in 2020 out of Oregon State he really emerged himself this year with the New York Giants as a reliable receiver for them. Eight receptions for 105 yards receiving and one touchdown in this game. Darius Slayton, 88 yards receiving. And despite dropping a ball that would have uh, would have immediately ended the game, he still had a phenomenal game. And don't let that distract you, you know, just from that one drop. Saquon Barkley did Saquon Barkley things. 56 receiving yards, had 53 rushing yards, so had over 100 total scrimmage yards on the day against Minnesota, which he looked like he could not be stopped whatsoever. Also was able to get into the end zone twice in this game. Both of those were rushing touchdowns, one of which was at the goal line. And then for the Minnesota Vikings, their offense 
to be completely honest, was really not that bad. Outside of Justin Jefferson pretty much getting clamped the entire game. I mean, the, the Giants secondary didn't allow him pretty much to have anything this entire game as he had seven receptions, ten or nine targets in this game for 47 yards receiving. If you're able to hold Justin Jefferson, you're going to have a pretty good day. And, well, Kirk Cousins realized that, obviously, Justin Jefferson was going to be his main target. So he decided to go to TJ Hawkinson, a guy who they got at the trade deadline from Detroit. And he had a pretty good game as well. Ten receptions for 129 yards receiving. But outside of that, the New York Giants defense was absolutely phenomenal in this game. I mean, they may not have been able to register a sack on Kirk Cousins, but the pass rush with Kayvon Thibodeau, Dexter Lawrence, a guy who definitely needs to be talked a little bit more about as one of the best interior defensive linemen in the entire league. They both were balling out in this game, getting to Kirk Cousins, applying pressure, making, making him throw a lot of those uncomfortable passes. And despite Kirk not having an interception in this game, it really felt like he should have had at least one or two. But regardless, Kirk Cousins would go 31 of 39 for 273 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. And really, I mean, what killed this team in this game had to have been the fact that their defense just simply could not stop Daniel Jones and the Giants offense. I mean, the Giants really were able to move the ball pretty much effortlessly. Even when they would get in third down situations, they were still able to convert and get the first down. Or even when they'd get in fourth and short, would still convert on fourth. And that really is what ended up costing Minnesota this game and costed them. And it's funny because they now finished the 2022 season 13-4 and but got sent home. Well, not sent, well, I guess you really can't say sent home because they played at home, but technically they got kicked out of the playoffs in the first round in the wild card round at home against a team in which that had not won a playoff game. They had been to the playoffs back in um, 2016 when they went up to Green Bay and lost, but the last time that this Giants team had won a playoff game was back in 2011 when they beat Tom Brady and the Patriots in the Super Bowl as the Giants go on to beat the Minnesota Vikings 31-24 to as the Giants, who... Constantly had this team on upset alert going into this game, and I still ignored it because I thought maybe the Vikings could prove me wrong. The Vikings, they continue to do Vikings things as the Giants. They now move on to the divisional round, and the Vikings, they now say sayonara to their 2022 season. And man, just what an incredible season it was for the Vikings in terms of comeback wins and everything like that. And this game definitely looked like it could have been one of those because, well, they were only down by a touchdown going into the fourth quarter. And every time that they had been down by a touchdown going into the fourth quarter, they had come back and won. So it looked like that would have been another scenario. But to a lot of credit of the Giants' defense, they really did not. They really did not allow this Minnesota Viking team to get too much momentum and really change, you know, the direction of this game. So, absolutely, hats off to what Ryan Dable has been able to do in his first season as head coach of the New York Giants. And another thing too, Daniel Jones, who's also playing in a contract year, a lot of questions, and I question it too. Is this guy the franchise quarterback for the New York Giants? And I say, as of this point. Absolutely. Give him another give him a two to three year contract extension. See what he does in those two to three years under Brian Dable's system. And I think he'll absolutely flourish and you get a lot of more results like this. So it's gonna be interesting to see how they do in the divisional round against who they end up playing. But regardless, we did have one more game we do have to talk about here on Sunday before we get to Monday night's game. But our Sunday night game we had a AFC North matchup between the Baltimore Ravens, who once again did not have Lamar Jackson. Tyler Huntley, who's been banged up pretty much for a couple weeks now, he still would be able to start in this game. 
as they would go on the road to Cincinnati and take on Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. And well, for the Ravens, I mean, their defense has been pretty good. There's not really a lot of questions about what you're going to get out of the defense. A lot of it's really came from will the offense be able to put up points and will they be able to put up points in comparison to what the Bengals are going to do because obviously the Bengals have one of the top offenses in all of the NFL. So this matchup was going to be a pretty good you know, ending to Sunday due to the fact that, well, it's a rivalry game. The energy is always really incredible and both of these teams just absolutely hate each other. And you could tell really early on that this was going to be a feisty game. Marcus Peters was getting into it with pretty much everybody on the Bengals offense, whether that was Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. I mean, he literally was out for everybody. But I would say Jamar Chase definitely did have Marcus Peters' number in this game as Jamar Chase would have a, I would say, a pretty solid game. He was a really reliable target for Joe Burrow in this game. Nine receptions for 84 yards receiving and a touchdown. The run game was not as dominant as, as it's been in past weeks. Only had 51 total yards rushing on the day and one rushing touchdown, which came by Joe Burrow. But once again, Joe Burrow, a guy that's really shown a lot of improvement year year out year and year out. Obviously, rookie year got cut short due to him suffering a torn ACL, and then last year made it to the Super Bowl. And this year, they look like they could potentially get back to that spot. As Joe Burrow, despite his offensive line struggling immensely in this game, Jonah Williams kept getting beat off the edge. Jonah Williams would actually end up having to go into the locker room with the injury. In would come uh, Carmen, who was a former second round pick of the of. It was, a, it was a former second-round pick coming out of Clemson. My bad. I, my brain kind of just switched the words around. And, well, it steadied the offensive line a little bit more. Still, you know, the defense of the Baltimore Ravens, which was really good in this game, something that pro people probably won't talk about because of, well, how bad the Ravens' offense was in this game. But, anyway, Joe Burrow, 23-32 for 209 yards passing and one, one touchdown pass on the day. And he was sacked four times and had – plenty of pressure to him and then on the flip side for the Baltimore Ravens their offense which obviously you're without Lamar Jackson who's pretty much your main offensive weapon for what's felt like an eternity now but I respect it because obviously you don't want to injure your body anymore we've seen it with Robert Griffin the third who actually made a tweet talking a little bit about it that you know don't just put a brace on it you'll be fine because that really hampered his career, and he's absolutely right. So Lamar Jackson being, you know, making the smart decision, obviously set out another game, which I know it's in the playoffs is going to, you know, kind of rub some people the wrong way. But at the end of the day, he's got to make, you know, he's got to he's got to keep his body healthy because that's literally what makes him all these millions of dollars. But regardless, Tyler Huntley, who was a little bit banged up, he finally was back now as a starting quarterback after Anthony Brown replaced him. And while Tyler Huntley in this game definitely showed a lot of flash, especially his mobility of getting out of the pocket and escaping because he needed a lot of that tonight with how bad the offensive line was of the Baltimore Ravens. But he also had moments where he had a lot of questionable throws, one of which, which he would throw right directly to Akeem Davis Gaither. And it was... I like Tyler Huntley a lot. I really do because I like the potential he brings. I mean, I remember, I think it was last year, at one point a lot of teams were considering trading for him whenever Lamar Jackson was down with the injury last season. I mean, he's an absolute great talent. He's got a lot of, obviously, raw talent. If molded properly, can be a great quarterback. But definitely the arm, not as strong, and definitely it showed in this game. 17-29 for 226 yards passing with two touchdown passes and one interception. But if you watch this game... It, you look at those stats, you kind of feel a little bit fooled because in reality, 
the, a lot of his overthrows or just simply non-accurate throws really hampered all the other great stuff that he did in this game. Um, the run game was phenomenal by the Ravens. J.K. Dobbins, 62 yards rushing, really felt like the one guy, one guy on offense that could bail them out out of a really bad situation. I mean, he did it numerous times in this game. Had an amazing, I think it was a pass he caught. Yeah, it was a pass he caught, and Tyler Huntley was rolling out of the pocket. I don't know how he did. Throws it directly to J.K. Dobbins. He runs about 20-ish yards or whatever and gets him a first down. I mean, you could tell, obviously, the talent is there still with J.K. Dobbins. Despite all the injuries he's already suffered, um, Tyler Huntley had 54 of his own because he was, like I said, running for his life the entire game. Gus Edwards had 39 of his own. And this really was a game I felt that was mostly dominant by both defenses. Like, the Ravens' defense was phenomenal despite despite having Marlon Humphrey get banged up. Uh, Roquan Smith got banged up a little bit. You know, two of their biggest pieces on defense, which is always a pain losing those two type of guys. And then the defense for the Bengals, they were phenomenal. And it really showed when the Ravens were on the one-yard line and somehow – it wasn't the, I don't think it was the one-yard line. I want to say it might have been like the two-yard line, one-and-a-half-yard line, whatever it might be. You try to go for a quarterback sneak. Tyler Huntley jumps over the offensive line, and well, I think it. I think a lot of defenses have picked up on it now. All you gotta do is punch the ball out of his hands. And what did they do? They did exactly that as Logan Wilson punched the ball right out of Tyler Huntley's hands, and the ball just so you know so graciously dropped right into the hands of Sam Hubbard, and the big guy took it 99 or about 99, 98 yards to the house, and you could tell from that point on. It was pretty much all Bengals as the Bengals, they go on barely, but they do go on to win um, the opening open round of the playoffs here in Super Wild Card Weekend, 24-17 over the Baltimore Ravens in a game in which was a lot closer, kind of similar to the Buffalo Bills and Dolphins game. Very, very close compared to what a lot of us thought it was going to be. And now the AFC is officially set up. You've got the Buffalo, or you got, yeah, you got the Buffalo Bills taking on the Cincinnati Bengals up in Buffalo. So we're going to get a rematch of that game that was never played due to, unfortunately, Demar Hamlin suffering that scary injury. And then we also have Trevor Lawrence and the Jags going out to Arrowhead and taking on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So the divisional round should be very interesting next weekend. Obviously, we're going to break it all down in um, in our preview episode for the divisional round. But now. Let's head to Monday Night Football, our final game that we had in Wild Card Weekend as we had Dak Prescott and the Cowboys taking on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, well, ever since Tom Brady landed with the Bucks, it's been a very one-sided matchup. Obviously, back to kick off the 2021 season on Thursday Night Football, the first game of the season, Tom Brady was able to beat the Cowboys down there in Tampa Bay. And then obviously to kick off this season, we also saw Tom Brady and the Bucks go into Arlington and take down the Dallas Cowboys. And now they're once again going back to Tampa Bay in what's going to be a great environment. The, the Buccaneers, they're heating up a little bit. Obviously lost the final regular season game to the Atlanta Falcons, which they pretty much sat all of their starters after the first half, which was a smart move by them. But now they're going up against the Dallas Cowboy team that, well, really shaky to end the regular season, to say the very least. Got absolutely blown out on the road against Washington in a game in which Sam Howell, a rookie quarterback who had no playing experience up until that game, seemed to somehow really be able to pick apart this Dallas Cowboy defense. So this matchup, regardless, was going to be a fun one, obviously. Looking back at week one and how bad Dak Prescott was, you know, the biggest question was, would Dak look like that or would Dak 
you know, improve a lot more from that game. And I definitely think it was safe to say that Dak Prescott majorly improved because when I tell you, and let me start this this little, you know, final segment that we have in today's episode saying, I apologize to all my Cowboy fans out there, myself included, because I really had no hope in this team going into this game. I mean, and it was for good reasons because for some reason when Tom Brady plays the Cowboys, he plays phenomenal, right? 7-0 and going into this game against the Cowboys all time. Never has really truly struggled against this team. And yes, even when Michael Parsons during his you know first ever game, with, or his first ever NFL game was actually against Tom Brady and the Bucks. But, you know, regardless, times have passed and everything like that. And, well, it showed in this game because Dak Prescott pretty much played perfect his best game of the season Easily, no questions about it whatsoever. Dak pretty much seemed like he could not throw a bad ball in this game. As to finish up his night against his Buccaneers defense, Dak would go 25 of 33 for 305 yards passing with four passing touchdowns. And get this, the biggest thing that's killed Dak the entire season, you know, tied for first in interceptions in the league with 15, only played 12 games. He had no interceptions in this game, which is huge for Dak. I mean, the tight ends in this game for the Cowboys are absolutely phenomenal. Dak's favorite target, Dalton Schultz, had seven receptions for 95 yards receiving and two touchdowns. Jake Ferguson, the rookie out of Wisconsin, he also had a good grab in this game for 34 yards receiving. And then CeeDee Lamb continues to prove why he was deserving of that number one wide receiver position as he had 68 receiving yards and a touchdown. Michael Gallup also had 46 receiving yards and a touchdown. As, I mean, seriously, this Dallas offense seemed like there was no stop whatsoever in terms of offensive production. The run game was really good. Tony Pollard had 77 rushing yards. Ezekiel Elliott, 27 of his own. And then Dak Prescott, you know, to add on top of his, you know, already four passing touchdowns, he also was able to get one rushing. So five total touchdowns on Dak for the day. Really, and I mean really helped prove the critics wrong after, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, TV people, which we don't got to talk too much about them, but also myself included, really said that he had no chance in this game and absolutely proved all of us wrong with this performance. And then on the flip side for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what might be potentially Tom Brady's, not only his just last game as a Buccaneer, but also his last game in the NFL. And he definitely did not end it on a good note whatsoever. The fourth quarter was able to redeem himself a little bit, kind of stat padded a little bit. But still, if you watch this entire game, just something was off about this Bucks, this Bucks offense. They couldn't run the football whatsoever. Only had 52 rushing yards on the day total. Tom Brady missed numerous passes, whether it was overthrows, throws that were behind, throws that are a little bit too far ahead. He just for some reason could not get the ball to his target as Tom Brady would finish his night with a going 35-66 of 66 for 351 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and then one interception. And, I mean, I don't know what it was, but you could just tell something was not right with this Tampa Bay team. This was not the same team that we saw back in 2021 when they went and upset Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs who were coming off their own Super Bowl win and were looking to go back-to-back, and they won that Super Bowl in Tom Brady's first year with the Bucks. So, definitely a team that, I mean, obviously, when they finished the regular season, the only reason why they made the playoffs was because they won the NFC South, which was the worst division in all of NFL this year. So kind of was a cupcake entry into the playoffs. I mean, 
They finished with a losing record and are one of the very few teams in NFL history to actually make the playoffs despite having a losing record. So it's not really shocking the outcome of how this game went. The biggest thing that I thought was, well, Tom Brady, he has always been good against the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, 7-0, 8-0. I mean, even the two times he's played them as a Buccaneer, you know, to kick off 2021, one at home, you know, same jersey battle and everything, two, you know, one against them to kick off the 2021 season. And then, obviously, this year went into Arlington and beat the Cowboys. So it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, maybe Tom Brady does it again, but this time in his prime environment, which is in the playoffs, and that was just not the case whatsoever. He really, you know, crumbled almost, which is something you rarely ever, you know, hear or say about Tom Brady in the playoffs, and the defense definitely didn't help him whatsoever because, once again, Dak Prescott had himself a career day against his Buccaneer team, and really, this was a game that Dak needed to show I guess the Cowboys front office and everything like that why he deserves to still be the starting quarterback as well as Mike McCarthy and the coaching staff too because Kellen Kellen Mond I think he's really going to get a ton and I mean a ton of requests after watching this game simply for what simply for how the play calling was in this game offensively for the Cowboys because he schemed up a lot of good plays that got guys like Dalton Schultz open, got guys like CeeDee Lamb open, and then also allowed for Dak Prescott to use his legs and then also get into the end zone. So this was a great game overall for the Cowboys, a game in which I didn't think they were going to perform this well, especially going up against a team which they have struggled with the past few years in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But the Cowboys, they, they were able to go into Tampa Bay, prove all the doubters wrong, and wrap up uh, NFL Wild Card Weekend with a W as they now will take on Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers next Sunday on the road out there in the Bay Area. So that game... That's definitely going to be a fun one to talk about. We'll break it down as well here on Wednesday as we have our preview for all the divisional games. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning into today's um, recap episode of all the wild card games. This was definitely one for the ages. I mean, who would have saw Jacksonville having that epic comeback against the Chargers? Dan uh, Danny Dimes, a.k.a. Daniel Jones, going into Minnesota and leading the Giants to their first playoff win since 2011. And then here on Monday Night Football, we're able to the Dallas Cowboys were able to upset Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in once again. Make sure also that you you know you hit the notification bell. I'm not trying to sound like a YouTube video or anything, but literally make sure you got notifications on so you can stay up to date with every episode that drops here on the Cover Seven Podcast. Make sure that you also are following, rating, doing whatever we can just to make sure that we continue to spread the Cover Seven Podcast so that we can build a community and you know be able to talk football with each other, share our ideas and everything like that and. I mean, once again, who doesn't love some football? So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope to catch you all back here on Wednesday as we will be talking about and breaking down all of our upcoming games here in the NFL Divisional Round. So, guys, I'll see you then. Have a great Tuesday, and peace, y'all.